This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. We're going to talk about a multitude of Yankee injuries and what that means for the American League East. Uh, my favorite breakout guy from last year, who I think kind of might be for real, um, are the Dodgers the deepest team ever? And Lorenzo Cain had a really bad year last year. Can he bounce back? As to the Yankees, I wanted to point out right away that just a couple of minutes ago, I saw a tweet from Lindsey Adler, who uh, Yankee beat writer for The Athletic, who reported that Aaron Boone said, no new Yankee injuries today, which tells you a lot that that's actually a, a statement that needs to be made. It seems like for all the changes the Yankees have made over the last winter, they are still getting injured constantly. Now, not all of this is their fault. Some of these injuries date back many years, as we'll get to. Has any of the shine come off of the Yankee winner for you? Definitely. I mean, I, I still think I'll preface this by saying that I still think that they are the clear favorite in the AL East, but I think that if you look back to where things stood like a month ago, it's now that the picture is definitely clouded a bit. Now that we know we already knew James Paxton was going to miss um, the first month, maybe two of the season uh, after having back surgery, you know, now we say, Oh, I could be back in early May, but I generally always take the over on injuries and Paxton has, Especially for him, he yeah. does not have a, <laughs> a history of, of, uh, of durability. Um, we now, you know, Derek Carlos Stanton's going to be opening day. Aaron judge. It is now, uh, February 27th, Aaron Judge has not swung a bat yet. Yeah, uh, Severino's out for the year with Tommy John. Uh, Domingo Herman will be suspended uh, through June, and you know who knows how long it'll take for him to come back from that. And as Matt reminded me before, Aaron Hicks had Tommy John surgery too, which oh. I completely forgotten about somehow. It's <laughs> He's out until at least July, I think. So it's um... – I've seen uh, some Yankee fans on Twitter, and at first this struck me as unfair, but now the more I think about it, maybe it's not. So their big move of this winter was Garrett Cole an enormous record-setting contract. They also brought back Brett Gardner, and that was about it. Is it fair to criticize them for not doing more? Like, it's hard to say, oh, they didn't do enough. They signed Garrett Cole to 300 and whatever million dollars. Um, should they have been focused more on pitching depth than they were? Probably, and also I think, I mean, for me, the, the thing with the Yankees was, you know, they won 103 games last year, despite the fact that, like, Severino barely pitched, yeah, Stanton barely played. And, and Duhar was out all year. And so, like, it, it was actually quite impressive but some of that was built on some performances that probably a bit of a mirage, like Gio Urshela played out of his mind. I, yeah. Mike Talkman. <laughs> I'm skeptical. DJ LeMahieu, I think, is still good. I'm not sure he's going to repeat what he did last year. But built into, okay, those guys are going to regress, was the fact that, hey, well, they're probably going to get more out of Stanton. They're probably going to get more out of Judge, who also missed a fair amount of time last year. Oh, and they added Garrett Cole. But now when you see like this, the, the injuries that are piling up again and the lack of pitching depth, it's kind of like, okay, well, maybe they aren't so invisible. I mean, last year everyone was sort of like incredulous that like, the Yankees still managed to keep winning despite all the injuries. And credit to them that they've been – particularly position players and relievers are able to kind of like turn, you know, 4A guys slash former Rockies into superstars. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to a former Rocky. I'm very excited about this. Um, but – 
it, it now like yes, the AL East feels feels kind of uh, back in play. I mean, in Stanton in particular, it's like what is going on? It, it does feel like it's back in play, and it's not the Red Sox, right? <laughs> I'm super excited about Tampa. We'll get to them in a second. The Yankee rotation right now on opening day will probably be Garrett Cole. By the way, this assumes no injuries in the next month, which seems like maybe it's not fair to even assume. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka, number two. Jay Happ, who it seemed all but certain was going to get traded this winter. That was their number three starter. Uh, Jordan Montgomery seems number four. And number five, Johnny Saiga, Michael King, uh, Davey Garcia, or, and I'm so excited about this, Chad Bettis, former Rocky sinker baller who was objectively terrible for them last year. Um, I don't think he's actually going to come to New York and be good, but if he did, if he followed in the proud footsteps of Mike Talkman and DJ LeMahieu, um, I would really, it, I would find it entertaining. I don't know how Rockies fans <laughs> feel about that. You know, there's that, there's like, there was that old not joke, but the, the the idea that like in the 50s and 60s, the Kansas City Athletics were kind of like a, a Yankees farm team, and it sort of feels like that's what the uh, Rockies have become. Have become <laughs> Poor uh, Rockies. Become by, by the way, it's like two minutes before I walked into this room. Uh, Kyle Freeland left his start with back spasms. It's going to be a long year. Um, John Carlos Stanton, I couldn't believe this when I looked it up, still has eight more years and $246 million on his contract. Uh, that assumes they buy out the 2028 season, which I assume they will, assuming there is either a 2028 or a 2028 baseball season. Uh, he just turned 30. He got in only 18 games last year. And I'm going to take a, a moment here to toot my own horn a little bit, toot our horn a little bit, actually. Uh, before Matt and I worked together here at MOB, we uh, worked together at ESPN, where Matt was my editor, and I would submit articles every week. And June 6, 2013, so by the way, almost seven years together we've been doing this. Um, I This is when uh, Stanton was 23, playing for Miami, obviously, had not yet signed this contract, but the Marlins were in the midst of one of their every three years teardowns, and it seemed like he was going to be the next guy out the door. And I wrote, hey, maybe you want to be a little cautious about this because even at the time, he was going through a ton of injury concerns. And I have what I'm sure is not a complete list here of injuries that have not prevented him just from hitting the, the IL or the DL, but even in spring training. In 2011, quad hamstring toe. In 2012, both knees and an oblique. In 2013, a hamstring, a shoulder, and both knees. 2015, hand. 2016, groin. 2019, knees, biceps, quad, shoulder. And I think somewhere in there, I forgot that uh, he broke his jaw when he got hit in the face by a pitch. Yeah. Now, that's, that's a thing that happens. It's a fluke. Um, boy, I just realized how many important moments in baseball history Mike Fires has been a part of. <laughs> he threw that pitch. Wow. Absolutely, he did. Um, and then now, you know, here we are where he is injured again. And at a certain point, like you hate to put the injury prone label on a guy and getting hit in the face is like a fluke, as you said. Uh, he's just so big. And now we're seeing this with Aaron Judge. It's it's hard to keep these guys who are this huge uh, on the field all the time. At least this is what we've seen in an incredibly small sample size here. Yeah. And, and to, to, to Stan's credit, because like, you know, I think the, the injury prone label has kind of stuck in 2017 and 2018. He played in 159 and 158 games, respectively. Yeah. So he had like a good run of durability. That first year with the Yankees was just like it was weird because he played basically every day, and it was coming off his big MVP year, and he was just kind of okay as opposed to a superstar. Um, and that's the thing about Stanton's career. I mean, in total, even when he's been on the field, he's had like parts of two seasons where he was like a true superstar over a full season, which would be 2014 and 2017 when he won the MVP. But for the most part, he's just been more of like a good, not great player. So now. He's, I mean, he's only had one season in his career where he hit more than 40 home runs, which is kind of surprising when you consider who he is. Um, yeah, and, and it's, so it's sort of like now he's like you, – you look at him, he's like, 
good, not great player who's really has a hard time staying on the field. And the, the track record of players that size is just not great for having really long careers. It, there, he is listed at 6'6 and 245. Uh, in the history of baseball, only four players who have been that large, both height and weight, have taken at least 1,000 career plate appearances. Stan, Judge, uh, Frank Howard back in the day, and Adam Dunn. Now, there's a little bit of a present-day bias here because guys that large didn't tend to get to the big leagues you know, 80 years ago. Uh, so there's that. There's just a limited sample size here, but it's it's tough. Like, how many injuries did I just name? And I probably don't have a full and complete list here. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, it'll be a real test of the Yankees' depth for a second straight year. And you know, I you know, I think an interesting thought experiment is like if the Red Sox knew a month ago what they know now, or maybe two months ago before like like would they still have made the trade that they trade because like some of some of the, the reasoning for for trading away bets and price was the idea that like hey we're probably not gonna win the division this year we kind of need to re- we kind of need to reload that's nuts by the way i agree with yeah. you that's the reason but <laughs> that is nuts but like now like the division's like really wide open what would be a, a very satisfying result here is if the red sox finish second to the yankees and they lose by the exact amount of games that price and bets give in wins above replacement for the Dodgers because <laughs> that'll be a fun story. Uh, not for Red Sox fans, obviously. So, you know, you'd think that the Red Sox would be well positioned to take advantage of this. Uh, Chris Sale is going to miss the start of the season too. And now he's apparently had pneumonia coming back from his elbow thing. Um, I do think people underestimate. I know he had like a 440 ERA last year, like a 37% strikeout rate last year. It was dominant at times. And people think he had like an atrocious season. Well, he, he's had what's, what's been weird with sale. Um, he's going to start doing the AL. It's not because he's injured. It's because he's sort of like was set back from his throwing program because he had the flu and then pneumonia right when camp opened. Um, so it's not an injury, but the thing is that with sale, he's, he's had this issue the last couple of years now, kind of like early in the year getting ramped up in 2018. People were freaking out about his velocity in April because he was throwing, his average four, uh, four seam velocity in April 2018 was 92.7 miles an hour, but by August it was 97.9 miles an hour. So over the course of the year, he ramped up. He found his velocity. Last year, same thing happened. In April, his four seam velocity was 92.4 miles per hour. And the reason people are still freaking out is that in August it was only up to 93.7 miles an hour. And then he got hurt. And his season ended in August, so that's why I use that August as the as the cutoff point. So I think there is some reason for concern. That said, as you mentioned, his strikeout rate was still in the top 4% of the league yeah. last year. So yeah. there's like, there's still a elite. I still think there's an elite pitcher here. The problem is for the Red Sox is the drop off um, in their rotation after sale. Like with sale out their uh, Opening rotation, day starter is probably Eduardo Rodriguez, I would think. Who like, hey, yeah, he won, good, yeah. he won 19 games last year, but that's yeah, a little misleading. Nathan Valdi, who hasn't thrown more than 125 innings since 2015, uh, Martin Perez, who has had like one half of a good season in the last two years. And then uh, I'm going to name three guys, and I want you to tell me which two of them are real and which one I made up. Okay. Matt Hall, Kyle Hart, or Tanner Hoke. Well, I know how I think you should think we played this game recently where we discussed Matt Hall on this podcast. Yes, former Detroit Tiger star. Um, I think Kyle Hart's made up. Yes, yeah, that's the trick. All three of them are real. Heim <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bloom said today they might consider using two openers. <laughs> In their original, I, I, it's it's you'd never think that the Red Sox would be upset for bad things to happen to the Yankees, but now it sort of makes this whole situation look even worse because they're not taking advantage of this. And Alex Verdugo, who they got in the Betts trade, he's got a back thing dating back to last year, and he might not even be ready for opening day. Um, 
The real team, however, that's positioned to take advantage of the Yankees. Raise, 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 raise. I mean, if you look at if you look at this, if you look at Fangraphs playoff odds, um, Fangraphs has the Rays at sixty seven point three percent to make the playoffs, which, for context, is higher than the Twins and higher than any just, National League team. But just other, just make the playoffs, just so make the playoffs, including being a wild card. Yes, including making playoffs. That's higher than the Twins, which shocked me, and higher than any NL team other than the Dodgers. I was thinking about the Rays this morning, so. I imagine we would agree that if we were looking at the American League and picking our three division winners, we probably would both say Yankees, Twins, and Astros, yeah. right? I think a lot of people would say that. It's exactly what happened last year. And then when I look at the rest of the American League, uh, super down on the Indians, right? Emmanuel Classe is now out for like three months and Clevenger's hurt. And I'm not sure I trust the White Sox yet. And uh, the Angels don't have any pitching. Griffin Canning, by the way, had another elbow issue. And so I feel like it's it's never a good idea to predict the exact same five teams in the playoffs in the exact same wildcard game. But sitting here today, I feel like I'd have to go raise and A's in the wildcard game again. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, actually, right now, speaking of the playoff odds, Fangraphs has the the Red Sox ahead of the A's in playoff odds, which I'm not. No, really, I'm not on that. I'm not really buying. <laughs> they actually, still the Red Sox at 47. I just even before the sale injury, just the lack of pitching depth, bullpen, and rotation. Like this, this is like such a stars and scrubs roster. Now you're putting yeah. a lot. Of, you're putting a lot of stock in JD Martinez. Rafael Devers and Zinner Bogart basically being three of the top ten players. Named, like, and Sale being healthy. <laughs> and Sale I'm, being I'm healthy. glad you said stars and scrubs. It's like the perfect way to phrase it because we're going to have to get to depth in a minute. Like this is how the Yankees were good last year. This is how the Dodgers were good. But the Rays, um, their four-year win trajectory is fantastic. Going back the last four years, 68 wins, 80 wins, 90 wins, 96 wins. Uh, if that trend continues, they will win 101 games this year. That's definitely how these things work. I don't think enough people – now, the informed listeners of this show definitely know. I don't think enough people realize how good their pitching staff is. They are projected to be the number one overall pitching staff in baseball at Fangraphs. That's uh, number two starting pitchers tied with the Mets behind the Nationals and number three relievers behind the Yankees and Padres. And that's even with them trading Emilio Pagan, who obviously, you know, we love. Um, A full season of Nick Anderson, I think, is going to be something special. I think he is really going to be this guy that a lot of people are going to say, who's this guy? I don't know anything about Nick Anderson. Didn't he used to play point guard for the Magic? I don't know. Uh, Colin Pochet, Chaz Rowe, Jose Alvarado, Oliver Drake, Diego Castillo. Like, I'm really excited to just watch those guys. And, oh, yeah, Tyler Glasnow, Blake Snell, Charlie Morton. Morton. It's it's going to be uh, a lot of fun, I think. I think I think the Rays have a better chance to take out the Yankees than people think. It sort of seemed like it was, oh, guaranteed 100% Yankees. I'm giving the Rays an outside shot here. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's fair. I think the, the Yankees, like, worst-case scenario, became, like, they're, they're sort of, like, range of outcomes is now a lot like with the news of the last few days of Severino being out for the year and obviously and like and Stanton being out for opening day and like you know his injuries have kind of been vague the last couple of years and with weird timetables the the range of possibilities for the Yankees just got a lot a lot a lot broader and uh, which is great because you know it'd be fun if the Rays could really could really challenge them for the uh for the division. I want to get to my favorite guy of the spring so far, like that last year's breakout guy who I'm like totally buying into. And this is going to be our fantasy segment of the week. Uh, this is sponsored by Yahoo fantasy baseball, dropping your baby to catch a foul ball. That's a very bad choice playing Yahoo fantasy baseball, the official fantasy game of MOB. That's a good choice. Make better choices. Choose Yahoo fantasy baseball rated the number one app by the FSGA. Mitch Garver. <laughs> Hi, I'm so in on Mitch Garver. Um, tell us why Mike. Well, Mitch Garver, uh, you may have noticed he had a very, very good season last year. He only played half the year. 
but he was on something like a 56 home run pace. Uh, he hit 31 home runs. He hit the home run that broke the all-time season record for home runs that uh, the Twins set. And over his previous two years, it was like a league average hitter, 99 OPS plus and 387 plate appearances, which for a backup catcher is actually pretty good. Last year, uh, he had a 365 on base, a 630 slugging, a 156 OPS plus. It was the second best hitting season from a catcher in Twins slash Washington Senators history behind only Joe Maurer's 2009 MVP season. Now, you might say to yourself, cool, A, he did it in half a season, and B, I think all of us hit 31 home runs last year. It's like it's really hard to look at a guy's out-of-nowhere power spike without also pointing out you know, the power spike across all of baseball. Like, you're totally correct to be a little apprehensive about that. But when you look at his underlying stat cast metrics, they are phenomenal. <laughs> they are really good. He was sixth in hard hit rate at 50%, which is fantastic. Uh, when you just hit the ball uh, in the air, so on flies and liners, a 97.2 mile an hour average exit velocity at a seventh, 14th in barrels per batted ball at nearly 16%. These things are all fantastic. Uh, Tom Tango came up with this one for me. He looked at home runs plus barrels per swing, right? Because not all home runs are barrels. Not all barrels are home runs. We're just trying to get to like the coolest things you can do. Uh, number one was Mike Trout, tied for number one with Mike Trout. Mitch Garver. <laughs> now, I'll buy into the fact he's not going to hit a 60 home run pace this year, but so far I think all the things I've said, you can't you can't fake your way to them, right? Like this isn't like a high babbabee kind of thing. This is actually hitting the ball um, really, really hard. And not only that, he got the ball off the ground more. His first two years, his fly ball rate was 23%. Last year, it was 35%. I'm going to skip ahead on some numbers here because I just want to read some of his amazing quotes. He told The Athletic, I love these so much. I'm actively trying to hit home runs and fly balls. I think home runs are the coolest thing you can do. That's how much I love them. I try to hit them every at bat. You don't hear guys, you wouldn't have heard guys talking about this. Uh, I also found this interview with his personal swing coach, uh, Jason Columbus, who also works with Alex Bregman. Uh, and this is from like a year ago. And he said, yeah, when I met him, uh, he was trying to hit 300, drive the ball the other way, which I'm not sure if that says more about the way baseball used to be taught or specifically the previous Twins regime, because that seems like something they would have done. Uh, so I cannot sit here and guarantee you that Mitch Garver is going to be uh, the next MVP or whatever, but but I'm in. I've got more numbers, but I, I want to know where you are right now on my my Mitch Garver love as my guy this year. I think he, he is. I mean, the as far as catchers and like you know, speaking, going back speaking from a fantasy perspective, it's generally like sort of a shallow position, especially if you're looking for home runs. So if you're looking for home runs, it's sort of like to me, it's like Gary Sanchez, Grandal, and him basically. Bermudo. I guess he'll still look at him. Real Muto has the advantage. Maybe, maybe Will Smith. He's more likely to play. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, you know, Real Muto is the guy who's most likely to play like 135 games. Yeah. It's like just get, you know, to accrue the home runs. Whereas that's the thing about Garver is that like, you know, it's a nice tan they have in Minnesota with uh, Alex Avila, who's a left-handed catcher. So it's kind of like a, well, not, not they won't platoon them. It's a natural, it's a very natural Tandem. I'm always a big fan of left-handed hitting catchers for that reason because it kind of gives you like a, that nice, that nice balance you wouldn't other normalized have. But like, if he can, if you know Garver, the underlying metrics are so strong. You, you know, it's hard not to see him if healthy playing. You know, 110, 120 games. Like, that's the thing is, if you look at the Fangraphs projections, they're kind of modest. They haven't like 90 games projected, which to me, you know, given his rate, his his rate, his rate stats last year, and he's not young. To be fair, like. He was totally nine, I think. He yeah. was totally not on my radar. He came on my radar last April when the Twins were playing the Mets. Oh uh, yes, Degrom. And Degrom was pitching, <laughs> and it was right. like he homered twice, and I was like, "Who's this who's, guy? Who's Mitch Carver?" <laughs> <laughs> and 
<laughs> then he went on to hit, what, 31 home 31 runs? home runs in half a season. His season this year is going to come down entirely to breaking pitches. He's going to have, I think, the highest rate of breaking pitches in the history of baseball. And let me tell you why. He hit fastballs last year so well that the, the leaderboard I'm about to show you, you're not even going to believe it, I don't think. I went back to the beginning of the pitch tracking era, so back to 2008, more than a decade worth of data. And I found every player season where a guy had at least 100 plate appearances and on a fastball, any kind of fastball. Um, you can tell that there's going to be some really cool names here. Number one at the top of the list, Albert Pujols, 2008. And number two, J.D. Martinez, 2017. You know we're getting somewhere here. Uh, quick side note, number three, Franklin Gutierrez is 2015. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. That's like when he came back and was like, yes, came back and like it was like, actually, he's a good hitter now, but he's not. He's not as good of a defender as he once was. It was the weirdest thing. Uh, Number four, Josh Hamilton, 2010. Number five, Mitch Garver last year. And then, by the way, the rest of the the names on this list: uh, Bryce Harper's historic 2015, Miggy winning the Triple Crown in 2013. You have Ortiz and Tomey and Juan Soto. Again, I don't, I don't think Mitch Garver is the next Juan Soto or anything. Uh, or the next Miguel Cabrera, but I don't see how you can fake your way onto this list. Like you have to do something real and legitimate to get here. And it'll be interesting to see if sort of the book is out and how he gets pitched this year, given um, given um, given these these numbers about the fast about fastball. And frankly, sort of like digressing a second to talk about Avila, that could actually, in a weird way, end up working to his benefit a little bit, in, because he will probably get won't have to face tough right-handers. And he'll probably get a reasonable amount of rest to stay fresh. So, like, in, in, his best case scenario might actually only being playing 110 games, knowing that they have, like, a very good backup who can play against tougher handed pitchers. Yeah. And the one thing I want to know, too, and this is very relevant to a, a fantasy perspective, is um, while we're talking about this time of year, our projections, like, what are guys projected to do? Now, obviously, Mitch Garver massively overperformed his projections the last year. So, I wanted to go find. Uh, guys who had done that and to see what happened to them, right? Like, did they sustain? Was this like their one flash in the pan? So I went back to 2010 and I used the steamer projections of Fangraphs and I looked for every hitter season for a guy who was projected to have at least 200 plate appearances and actually got up at least 350. Uh, this isn't perfect. Like, it misses some guys like Jordan Alvarez who were not projected to have any plate appearances that came out of nowhere. But I wanted to get to guys we thought maybe we would know a little bit about. So using that method, I found uh, nearly 2,200 hitter seasons. Uh, across that sample, Steamer projected a 766 OPS, and the actual was 761, so that's that's pretty good. Uh, Garver was projected for a 723. He got a 995, so that's an overperformance by 272 points. So when I looked at everybody who overperformed by at least 200 points, I came up with a fascinating list. Garver is third on that list, uh, 272 points of overperformance. Number one was Fernando Tatis last year. That makes a lot of sense because he's a 20-year-old rookie who was not projected to do much at all. Number two, Aaron Judge in 2017. If you go down the rest of this list, and I wrote about it, you can find it uh, on, on, I guess it's not twins.com, it's mntwins.com, where I tweeted it out a bunch of times. Um, There's a really interesting mix of guys here. So in terms of who overperformed their projections by the most, you got a couple of young all-time greats who are having that first breakout year. Like you have Harper in 2015, uh, Trout in 2012. Maybe we'll talk about Aaron Judge, 17, in that way. Uh, you'll talk about some – the guys I really love are the mid-career swing changers, right? J.D. Martinez is on this list from 17. Uh, Jose Bautista in 2010, that one's perfect. Daniel Murphy from 2016. Definitely giving the side-eye to Marvin Gonzalez, 2017, a little bit. Uh, and then there's some flukes on here. Zach Cozart's one great year. You know, Napoli and Gritchick and Josh Hamilton had, like, the great years they could never repeat. But everybody on the top of this list had a sustained – big league career like no one was just disappeared the next year 
again, confidence here. Yeah, I mean, I think to me the only name that actually that really stands out to me as like a fluke here is is probably Kozar because yeah. even like Napoli had a good like was like a very good hitter for a few years. Right. You know, Napoli's actually in many ways probably a pretty good comp because Garber can actually catch. So yeah, like yeah, it's not kind bad. of a late career, late career, you know, emergence as a catcher, yeah. like power as the carrying tool. That, that's it's a pretty I, good it's a it's a pretty good comp. And even at the time, I remember we knew Zach Kozar was a fluke. Like all of the underlying data said, yeah, there's just no way this is going to happen again. Uh, uh, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of fantasy, one other player you wrote about um, that I think is also really interesting for our fantasy players and, you know, just baseball fans at large is Lorenzo Kane. We've been pretty down on the Brewers, I think, on this podcast, right? Because they, they shed a lot of talent. Like Moustakis is gone, Grandal and Aguiar and Thames and Shaw and Ryan Braun's 36 and Part of the, uh, the the question about whether they're going to you know really contend in 2020 is who is Lorenzo Cain? Like he signed a five year deal and he's fantastic in 2018, right? Uh, 30 steals and uh, 119 OPS plus, and last year not so good. Uh, 81 OPS plus, really had a, a poor season: 260, 325, 372. Among all qualified hitters, he had the second largest drop in wins above replacement from 5.7 to 1.5, not great, and the fifth largest drop. In OPS, so you know he's going to be 34 in a couple of weeks in, uh, in April, and I think you w- would understand. Well, this guy is a speed-based player. Maybe it's the beginning of the end. Maybe it is. Um, but I wanted to figure out what went on because I, I knew there were a couple interesting things going on with Lorenzo Kane that might make me think he's not totally done yet. Right. The first thing is that I, I guess when you have an older player uh, and you think about okay reasons why he wasn't successful, you'd think okay maybe he struck out more. Uh, he did, but not by much, and he's still better than average. Uh, maybe he stopped hitting balls in the air. No, not really. Um, maybe he stopped hitting the ball as hard. He actually had a career high hard hit rate. <laughs> that's the, that's the craziest thing to me that he had a career. I mean, career high, obviously going back to 2015. Well, sure. Yeah. It's it's the third straight year he improved, and it, you know he's never been like a huge bomber power hitter. So 42 percent is only somewhat above average. Uh, the other thing is I looked at his barrel rate, and you know the league average barrel rate is about six percent. His is four percent. It's below average. It's not his game, but it didn't move. It's been that pretty much every year for the last couple of years. And so when you, you tie all that together, now his walk rate did drop. That wasn't great. Uh, his expected weighted on base dropped only from 342 to 330. League average is 319. This is all, these are all very good signs, right? Uh, and also his defense was outstanding. He won his gold, first gold glove if you care about that, but I care about the 14 outs above average that made him the third best outfielder. Um, these are all really good signs, but it doesn't change the fact that he didn't perform last year. Ultimately, you yeah. want to get to the production. Yeah, the results were not great. And that's sort of the thing that the, the, the expected weight on base thing is really what jumps out to me. In 2018, expected weight on base was 342. The actual weight on base was 359. Last year, expected weight on base was 330. Actual weight on base was 302. So whereas in 2018, he was maybe a little what you would call, might call, quote unquote, lucky. Um, last year, nothing went his way in terms of getting results on hard hit batted balls. Yeah, I, I really try not to like go with lucky and unlucky because it just feels like an easy way to wave away something you don't get. Um, in this case, I think there might actually be a little bit to it. So we uh, have rolled out, you know, outs above average for infielders and outfielders, and that's all up on baseballsavant.com. But what we've also done is since we had all that data, we figured, well, you don't just have to look at it from the point of view of the fielder. You could look at it from the point of view of the pitcher to see whether his defense helped him or hurt him, or even from the point of view of the hitter to see who really got robbed by like greater poor defense so when I looked at the list from the hitter point of view and I saw which guys got hurt by the best defense played against them, number one was Jose Altuve, which I thought was interesting. 
Number two is Lorenzo Cain. Uh, the defenses against him posted a plus 11 outs above average. Now, for some context on his own team, Kristen Yelich was actually helped by bad defense, a negative five. There's a 16-out gap just between those two guys. Uh, it's it's funny. If you go watch the clips I posted in the article I wrote, I showed his hardest hit ball of the entire season. I think this might encapsulate his 2019, 110.4 miles an hour, right back at Tyler Chatwood. It actually hit the pitcher and bounced right to Ben Zobrist for a 4-3 out, which I think tells you a little something. Uh, he had the third most hard hit outs in baseball. Uh, on hard hit outs, he had an average of 405. Sounds good. Hard hit balls. Uh, yes, hard hit balls. Uh, but the average across the major leagues was 542. And that 405 was the lowest average of anybody in baseball, hundreds of players who had at least 75 hard hit balls. So, again, I'm not going to say this is all bad luck, uh, but it's certainly a little bit of it. And so Adam McAlvey, our Brewers.com beat reporter, talked to manager Craig Council last August. And Council said, and I quote, He's had a poor luck season, and that's reflected in the numbers. He was flirting with a 400 on base in 2018. That's the difference. Uh, it's probably not all made up by bad luck, but since his thumb is fixed, and we'll get to injuries in a second, I think his at-bats and quality of contact have been pretty similar. So would you agree that there's some amount of of he didn't deserve maybe what he earned last year? Not, I'm not going to put it all on that, um, but it feels like he got maybe a little unfortunate. Yeah, without question. Um, and it's, I mean, it's also interesting seeing Mookie Betts on that list of uh, yeah. hard hit outs because like, there was a perception, especially early on last year, that Betts was having a down year. And maybe it's just, you know, just a little bit of a little bit of batted ball weirdness that, you know, prevented him from basically matching his uh, 2018 MVP season. Well, let's get to what really happened. Um, his hard hit rate was still very good. Barrel rate was still very good. Ground ball rate was similar. Expected weighted on base is very good. He actually had more extra base hits last year than he did the year before when he was very good. So you're thinking to yourself, where is all the production gap coming from? Um, part of it was he walked 21 fewer times in about the same amount of plate appearances. But he also had 24 fewer singles. And if you're wondering, well, where are the fewer singles coming from? It's not on pop-ups, obviously. It's not on liners. He had exactly 51 line drive singles each of the last two mm -hmm. years. You don't really get a lot of singles on fly balls, and he's only had 10 over the last two years. But on ground balls, he had 72 singles in 2018 and 50 in 2019. He hit 311 on grounders the year before and 239 last year. Now, that could go to good defense, right? Certainly a... a found some videos of like uh, Angelton Simmons making great plays. It could go to bad luck. There's probably that too. But here's the uh, one thing I'm actually concerned about. He is getting slower. Um, I posted what I think is a terrifying graph <laughs> of a downward chart, which I wish I could show you on a podcast, but I implore you to go listen, uh, go look at the it's article. It's basically like a trend line going, just imagine a trend line going down. Yeah. Pretty, pretty steadily. And basically, here's his rankings in speed over the last four years. In 2016, he was 39th best overall then 75th, then 97th, then 197th. Now, I will admit, last year, we know he had issues with his ankle and with his knee. I'm sure that's part of it. Uh, but also, he's 34, and time comes for us all. <laughs> Father time remains undefeated. Uh, he actually told Adam McAlvey this week that he was working with his wife, who I believe was uh, works an exerciser. She's a personal trainer or something like that, uh, to change his diet and get his, get his body right. He said, I feel like I had a disappointing season last year. I need to do everything possible to get it right. I need to make sure my legs are underneath me. I lost a lot of weight, and I'm trying to get a little lighter on my feet. When I put all this together, I think 2018 was maybe an outlier in the positive direction. And 2019 was an outlier in the negative direction. And he's like a average to slightly above average hitter in 2020, I guess, with good defense. He's yeah, still I mean, a good player. He's, he's, exactly. He's still a good player. He's not the kind of guy that – like that's that's a thing in sort of the big picture with the Brewers, right? Like. I think he's better than he showed in 2019, but at, at like 
given his age, you wouldn't really expect him to go and like have like a monster season. You know, it's more like, oh, he might be like, you know, a, a three war player again, as opposed, you know, whereas last year he was like a one plus one player. Yeah, the year before he was like a six one player. So it's like, it's, you know, if they win, like, in terms of like finding extra wins for the Brewers, he's actually a place for the, I think they, they, they might quote unquote like pick up a win or two just based on him playing a lot better, but it's probably not going to make up for the like exodus of. Yeah, like Grandal and yeah. Stockus and, and all these guys. Um, the Brewers also made one other interesting move this week. Um, signing Freddie Peralta to a five-year extension that kind of came, I guess, kind of out of nowhere. Well, that I don't watch. I don't, I'm not following the day-to-day nitty-gritty of the Brewers' news. Um, I think this is going to be a second in a trend because Aaron Bummer also just signed like a similar deal. So it sort of feels like all these uh, reliever-esque guys who aren't closers are, are trying to get theirs now. Do you remember how excited we were about Freddie Peralta like a year and a half ago in his major league debut at Coors Field, struck out 13. Gave up one hit in five and two thirds shutout innings. I remember we were like, "Who's this guy? You did what at Coors Field?" <laughs> well, he's got he's got the um he's got the sneaky um he's like the sneaky four seam spin. So he gets uh, I think he gets a lot of ninetieth um, percentile spin I think, but also great extension. Okay. So and he throws it like seventy eight percent of the time. He's trying to learn a new slider this winter, uh, this spring. We're all trying to learn new pitches this swing. So this spring, so we'll see if that actually happens. But he's interesting because he hasn't been terribly productive he's got a, a 479 era uh, in 55 games over his career but last september uh they moved him into relief and it was sort of hilarious he faced 38 batters 20 strikeouts and two walks that'll play <laughs> um his, his velocity jumped up from 92.4 to 94.5 but it does seem like they're gonna actually try him back in the rotation because they don't have a deep rotation <laughs> this is this is their rotation right now um brandon woodruff who i like very much yeah uh adrian hauser who i actually really like you know, Brad Anderson, who is what he is, he will get a lot of ground balls and probably get hurt at some point. And then I'd sort of forgotten about uh, Josh Lindblom coming back from Korea. Who, Who's very interesting. Huge but, lottery ticket. Yeah. And then the fifth spot will probably be either Eric Lauer or, or Peralta. Corbin Burns is in there somewhere. Shelby Miller, like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. There's talent there. A lot of uncertainty, I guess I would say. Um, I feel like I, I feel like we should have learned a lesson the last couple of years. Like we're always down on the Brewers. The projections are down and then ended up being pretty good. I just can't get past the lineup. I don't even know who's playing third base for them. Jed Jerko? <laughs> yeah, it's um, – Brock Holt was a nice addition, but he's not really yeah. like a, a big difference maker. Here, a full year of Keston here, that'll be fun. That'll, that, that, that's probably if – you're, if you're thinking of like places where they can make big gains, yeah. it's, hey, we might actually have like, you know, the best tennis second baseman in the National League yeah. kind of thing. I, I like Avisel Garcia, uh, but I don't know. It feels like nobody's talking about – the impact of that that leg injury to Christian Yelich. <laughs> if he doesn't come back at full strength, that is a huge problem. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. Um, going back to Peralta for a second, he kind of like it actually kind of reminds me of like the Usmero Petit career path, where he sort of like came up as a starter, was like a pretty good prospect, deceptive fastball, kind of bounced around for a bit, but then eventually like probably actually he's really should be a reliever, and he would still get spot starts, but like he ended up having like, a very good career as a reliever. Yeah. I sort of feel that way with Freddie Peralta. But Petit, Petit is not a one pitch guy. Like if Peralta can't get the slider to work and then he's just like a fastball and the guy sort of reminds me of like, I don't know, Tony Singrani. Like it's really hard to be that like a one pitch guy like that. Um, I guess we'll, I guess we'll, the, the Brewers obviously believe enough to give him a five-year contract. The money isn't such that it'll ever like be anything. Oh yeah, like, no, they can afford it. It'll yeah. be fine. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about, uh, the Dodgers are going to be good this year. <laughs> I know this is the hottest, hottest scorching take well, here. The, if we're talking about, if we're talking about the, 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 the transition here is, you know, we're talking about the depth or lack thereof on the Brewers. They don't have much. On the flip side is the Dodgers, who may be the deepest team in baseball history. 
I don't know. Um, it's it's already like we're a month away from the season, and it's already like how do I how do we talk about how great the Dodgers are going to be? You know, uh, they won 106 last year, seven straight division titles. You may have heard they added Mookie Betts and David Price. I think they're going to be good, and their story. Yes, they've got the superstars, right? But it's it's so much about depth, like especially since that trade with the Angels didn't go through with Stripling and Peterson. It really feels like they have more guys than they know what to do with. Um, and if you think about the Dodgers the last couple of years, somebody's always getting hurt, right? Kershaw gets hurt every year. Justin Turner gets hurt every year. When they had Rich Hill and Hunjin Ryu, they got hurt every year. They missed Corey Seager for like an entire season, uh, and it, it didn't phase them. Like and that, I think, is the hallmark of depth. Just like the Yankees last year, you know, next man up. Um, the lack of depth, excuse me, lack of depth, I think, is partially why Mike Trout never gets to the playoffs. Like they have two or three good players, and that's it. So I wanted to figure out, you know, are there any holes on this team? It, it's funny to me that people think the worst player in the Dodgers is AJ Pollock who's like a pretty good player. I know his postseason last year was dreadful. I get it. But uh, if he's your worst guy, I think you're doing pretty well. So I went over to Fangraphs and I looked at each of the 10 positions, uh, you know, excluding DH, but uh, splitting starters and relievers in the two. And I wanted to see what their ranking was at each spot. And what I realized was that at each of the 10 spots, they are in the top 10, every single one. There is no weak spot here. Like the weakest place they are here is third base, and that's really only because third base is incredibly deep across Major League Baseball. Um, and that is, you know, including like the actual projected playing time. So in left field, it's like 60% Peterson and 25% Pollock and then 15% to the other guys. And, and I thought to myself, that seems pretty cool. 10 positions, 10 top 10 finishes. Uh, if you look at the other contenders this year, like the Yankees third base are down at 19. Houston catchers are 17. Twins came really close, but 12 at left field. Five teams do not have a single top 10 spot. The Dodgers have 10. I'm no expert. That sounds really good. Um, so what I wanted to know is, I, I know they're not going to finish the season like this, right? Someone will get hurt or someone will underperform or they'll finish 11th by like a tick. Like It's not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. I'm certainly going to be following it now because I'm curious yes. to see if they can do it. So I wanted to know, has any team ever actually done this? And I should point out here that I bugged uh, Jason Bernard and Tom Tango, some of our data scientists, a great deal on this to help me because um, I needed to know not just you know, historical positional rankings, but I need to know while the guys are actually playing those spots, right? That's the whole point. So I went back, we went back and looked through retro sheet data since the beginning of time. Uh, we ignored DH entirely and we split pitchers into starters and relievers only since 1969 and just all pitchers prior to that because bullpens were very different. So what we did was we came up with a nearly 3,000 team seasons, hundreds of which had zero positions finishing in the top 10. Um, and I wanted to see, had anybody actually done it across the board. Oh, and I should mm -hmm. clarify here, uh, we didn't actually do top 10. We did top third because earlier in baseball history, there were only 16 teams and top 10 wouldn't be so impressive. And of those nearly 3,000 team seasons, we found that 13 teams had top third finishes at all but two positions, right? So that's eight out of 10 uh, or you know uh, seven out of nine, depending on when in history we're talking about here. Some really good teams here. 72 A's, the big red machine, 2016 Cubs, last year's Dodgers and Yankees. I found 10 teams had top third at all but one spot. And uh, to give away the lead here, no one's ever done 10. No one's ever done it across the board. So if the Dodgers do it, they will be the first team to ever do it. But this list of 10 teams that had top third war positional uh, finishes at all but one spot is fascinating. Uh, you have the 1955 Dodgers who won the World Series. You have a handful of teams who lost the World Series, the 69 and 71 Orioles, the 53 Dodgers, the 48 Braves. Uh, you have a couple of teams who 
won a ton of regular season games, but didn't get to the World Series. Last year's Astros. Well, they got to the World Series. Uh, well, I, nobody remembers that. Sorry. <laughs> the 98 Astros uh, and the 2001 Seattle Mariners. Uh, also the 1934 Yankees, who won over 90 games in a shorter season. And, and this is the one that sticks out. Nine great teams. And also the 1961 Milwaukee Braves, who won only 83 games, fired their manager in September and featured Joe Torre, Hank Aaron, Warren Spahn, and Joe Adcock and Eddie Matthews. Uh, I don't know how that, like I, if, if I had the opportunity to, I would love to write like 3000 words on the 1961 <laughs> Braves that absolutely nobody would read to figure out what the hell happened there. Cause it was also fascinating. Cause I went and looked thinking like, Oh, well maybe it's like, was like a weird, like, you know, like run score where they actually, they're, they're like run differential. I thought that too. It's dead on. <laughs> they won 83 games. Their Pythagorean, their, their expected record based on run score runs allowed was 83 wins. I don't get it. I feel like there's a, a deeper dive that like somebody at the hardball times or somebody should go do. Anyway, the point is for the Dodgers, if you set aside this one weirdo team, uh, if you do this or come close to it, you're going to win a ton of games. I realize that's not necessarily breaking news, but as Matt said, now I'm going to pay attention to this because if they do it at the end of the year, uh, then I get to point back at this and say, hey, we maybe saw this coming. We were going to tell you that the Dodgers were actually very good. <laughs> I mean, is there any way they're challenged in the NL West? No. I think I wrote this in the article that I find it more likely that the season just doesn't get played than it does that somebody else comes and takes them out. I'm just trying to think of like, I can't remember even like, cause even like the, the, the Astros who are still, you know, a huge favorite in the AOS to the A's who could like theoretically, you know, challenge them. I think, especially a couple of yes. weeks ago. I mean, the, 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 the Astros do have a, like, they do have a little bit of a depth issue, particularly in their starting rotation. Their starting rotation is like two 35 year olds and a bunch of unproven guys. Like, Absolutely. There's a, there's a real downside. As good as the Astros look on paper, whatever you think about the science dealing, like there's a talented lineup with a, with a, yeah. with a, with a not so deep rotation. So I, there's a, there's a real downside in Houston. I think there's a, there's a bigger downside than that. And I think it is because of the science dealing. If the guys get thrown at, or, I mean, they're humans, right? Or if they get booed constantly, like I could actually see that having an effect on them. Um, the Dodgers, however, don't really have a serious challenger and they're extremely deep. So it's like, I can't remember a team being this, like, this much of a... This heavily favored? This heavily I mean, favored. Maybe, like, uh, Cleveland in the Central, like, two years ago when everybody else was terrible? I, I don't know. Um, I'm trying I, I'm to... Sort of, it's sort of interesting, actually, that the, I'm looking at the uh, Fangraphs playoff odds. Has the, the Padres at 8% to win the division, which I got to say seems high, and the Diamondbacks at 2%. Well, and, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's three teams, right? Yeah. The, the Giants are going to be awful. The Rockies are going to be awful. I, I like... I think the projections are low on the Diamondbacks. I, I actually really like what they've done, uh, but it's hard to see a scenario here that doesn't that doesn't involve like I don't know the Dodgers like losing half their players at once. Like even if half their guys got hurt, you know that's what would be fun. We should find the next twenty five guys in the Dodger system, right? <laughs> like the guys who are going to be in the minor leagues and put them on a projection basis and see like. They wouldn't be the worst team in baseball, I guarantee it, right? Would they be, like, the 20th best team in baseball? I guess we could try to find that. Because <laughs> that would be really funny. Um, anyway, I, I I imagine at the end of the season we'll be talking about the Dodgers uh, hosting uh, an NLDS somewhere. Hot takes all. But more importantly, I want to know if they're going to be top 10 across the board. So that is something I will be paying attention to. Uh, that is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StackCast podcast. Thanks for listening.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.